I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. Uh, what got you there with got you, got you. What got you there with Sean Delaney? If you're enjoying the podcast, then you might want to check out some of the other things I'm working on behind the scenes. I put out a weekly newsletter called Momentum Monday, which is just a quick synthesis of everything I've been reading, listening to, and watching during the week. I also do a once-a-month deep dive called The Distillery, which is a long-form distillation on someone whose thinking has greatly impacted me. You can check out past distillations of Josh Waitskin, Yen Liao, and Nick Konis, and everything else we're putting on at whatgotyouthere.com. One of the questions I'm often asked is, Sean, who do you look to as the models and mentors who are living embodiments of who you'd like to be as a man, an entrepreneur, and a father? Well, there are few people, if any, who embody the values, work ethic, and approach to life that I'm striving towards than my guest today, who is the fashion mogul, Brunello Cuccinelli. Now, Brunello is the founder and CEO of the iconic fashion brand, Brunello Cuccinelli, and Brunello's achievements are remarkable, to say the least. He, he's done everything from creating a billion-dollar fashion company and becoming a billionaire in his own right. He's been named GQ's 2021 Designer of the Year, and he truly has revolutionized the cashmere industry. Now, those are just to name a few, but what really sets Brunello apart is his approach to business and life. So Brunello grew up poor on a farm, and through many life experiences, he realized that in order for people to find meaning in life, they need dignity in their work. Now, he isn't the cutthroat business titan we often think of, especially around the fashion industry. No, he's become a billionaire by giving people dignity in their work and bringing more beauty to the world. So an example is he shuts off his company's email at 5.30 p.m. each day. He provides them a 90-minute lunch break where the company dines together with meals provided by exquisite and world-class chefs. And he's realized that everyone, yes, everyone has genius within them. But it only comes out when given responsibility, freedom, and dignity in their work. He's proven that there is a better way to approach business. Now, this episode is different uh, because Brunello only speaks Italian. And since he only speaks Italian, we had to do this through a translator. So what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to read the transcript from our beautiful conversation all about entrepreneurship, philosophy, humanity, and life. And my apologies for not giving an Italian accent here, but I figured I'd spare you all. So if you want to watch the conversation between Brunello and I, and it's more just him telling his life story, click the link below to our YouTube page. You can see him and his beautiful office behind. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode that is loaded with just a crazy amount of wisdom on life. So I'll let Brunello Cuccinelli take it away. I am thrilled to tell you about my new online personal growth course called You Unleashed. You Unleashed is for those people looking to burst through the walls of their previous limitations and fears and tap into their greater potential, or what I call your You Unleashed self. This course is a culmination of the best things I've learned being a professional athlete, entrepreneur, investor, and spending thousands of hours sitting down with world-class performers on this podcast to uncover what you need to raise your potential to a new level. This course is going to give you clarity of what an extraordinary life looks like and who you need to become in order to achieve that life. Now, I'll provide you with the mindsets, behaviors, and actions you need to bring out your unleashed self. 
You'll uncover your deeper why, your values, and your life philosophy that will guide you moving forward. So the question is, why haven't you unleashed your full potential yet? You only get one shot at this life, so what are you waiting for? You're meant to become extraordinary. We all are. So if you're interested in stepping into your potential and cultivating the type of life you've been dreaming of, then check out my You Unleash course by clicking below or going to whatgotyouthere.com forward slash you dash unleashed. And because you listen to the podcast, I'm giving you 50% off the entire course for a limited time by using code WGYT. That's whatgotyouthere.com forward slash you dash unleashed and use code WGYT for 50% off. The first part of my life I spent in the countryside. We had no lights and no electricity at home. We were farmers, and we would work the land with animals. I enjoyed a very special relationship with the ground, with the animals, and with creation in the world. And since we had no electricity at home, we would follow the sun along its path until sunset. The stars and the skies were a great source of inspiration. It was a very important time in my life, and I say it even now as a grown-up because there were 13 members of my family living together, and there was such a dignity, a high degree of spirituality, humanity, dignity, and respect for everything that surrounded us. And my task when working the land was to pull the oxen. And since my dad was stronger than me, he was told to plow. And oh, by the way, did you hear the bells ringing and toiling? We are in a hamlet of the 14th century, and every day we hear the bells ringing. It relieves the hardship for life and for us. And so when I was pulling the oxen, I had to make sure that they would walk straight and follow the furrows. And I would ask my dad, why do you want our furrows to be straight? And he would say, because they look better that way. That's when I started to understand the pleasure of beauty. And then when we were harvesting our wheat, we would make about 150 bags of wheat. The first part that we harvested, we would always be gifted to the community because that's what my grandfather wanted. So I started grasping the first glimpses of this balance between profits and giving back, which is a very contemporary and topical theme. Two families lived close together, 13 of us and then 14 members of the other family, and we would always help each other out. It was a great human relationship that we enjoyed. We were not poor because we had enough food on our table, but we did enjoy a very special relationship with creation. And by that, I mean the ground, the animals, and the water surrounding us. And still today, I believe that we need to recover the kind of harmony with creation that we were able to build back then. It is a very contemporary thought, I have to say. And also, for example, the rabbits. We would breed the rabbits, and then we would eat them later on. Or maybe we would comb or brush the hair of the lambs, but then we would eat it for Easter. Still, it was a great example of a good relationship between human beings and the whole of creation. And it was a great inspiration for my life. And so these were 15 years that were earmarked by spirituality, intimacy, and also lots of humanism. There was dignity and a lot of respect. For example, I never saw my parents and grandparents being subject to humiliation or offenses in any way. It was a very special time in a nutshell. And then we suddenly decided to go and move to the city because that was the dream of old farmers back then. To find a job in a factory and everything changed overnight. Overnight, we found ourselves living in a house in a city with a TV, with electricity, and also with a toilet. And the whole world capsized, upside down, upended just overnight. And that's how the second part of my life started between the 15th and 25th year of age when I started my business. And that is what I call my university of life because we would go to the school and we were residing on the outskirts of the city. And that's when the so-called Life the Local Cafe started for me. It was a local bar that I usually hung out in. 
there were only male patrons allowed and between 40 to 50 different people of different ages. We would discuss a wide range of topics from women to politics, philosophy, and culture. We would also play jokers in France because that's part of the parcel of Italian culture. And that was much of the beginning of something new, a very fascinating time from the human point of view. So that's why this was yet another very important, relevant time of my life because at the local bar, the local cafe, there's always someone willing to listen to your sorrows. And because today there is no way that you can go from where you will come up, find someone willing to listen to what you have to say. This is a very humane part of my life. And then at night, when it was already dark outside, all the customers would dwindle to just three or four people, and we would mainly discuss philosophy. There were a couple of my friends of mine who went to school, and they knew all about Kant and Kierkegaard, but I couldn't take part in the discussion because I did not study philosophy at school. That's how I was prompted to start researching, especially around Kant, Immanuel Kant. And if it was extremely difficult for me back then, I find it still difficult today, but still a very big source of inspiration for me. And then two very important things happened to me in my life when I was about 17 or 18 years of age. The first was coming across philosophy and Kant in particular. And there's one famous quote by him that I'm sure you've heard of, which is, there are two things that move me, the starry sky above me and the moral law inside of me. And then there's another one that would place at the entrance of our village, our hamlet, and it's, you should act considering mankind, not just for you, but for others too. Not just as needs, as simple needs, but as the highest purpose. Now, I was 17 or 18 by then, and that's precisely something that changed my life. So the first thing that I did was that was a game changer was my discovery of philosophy, and the second important thing is my dad. My dad took up a job as a pl- at the plastic factory, and he did not complain about his wages or the work conditions, but rather he moaned and complained about the way he was subject to humiliation daily. And then he would come back home in the evening and say, what did I do wrong to God to be subject to such treatments? And those key statements and also his eyes that were filled with tears, actually, by the way, my father, who just turned 100, passed away a few days ago. Well, both of these two things were a source of great inspiration for me. That's when I said to myself, I don't know what I will do with myself in my life, but one thing is for sure. I want to work to foster the moral and economic dignity of the human being, and that's where the whole culture of life began for me. And then when I turned 20, those were the years of the culture revolution in Italy. I was not a good student because I actually attended the faculty of engineering for three years, and I only sat one exam in between those years. But I do believe there are two types of intelligence, the one that comes from educational study and another one that comes from your soul. And I believe that we must mix and combine them both to have the best results. So this was my life until I turned 25 when I decided to start my business in the colored cashmere. So the years between 0 and 15 were the years that I spent in the countryside. And it was fascinating time from the human point of view. And then between 15 and 25, this is when I was hanging out at the local bar, learning even more about life there. I have this belief that when a person turns 20, their personality is fully formed and shaped. So when I was 25 years of age, I didn't yet know what would become of me or what I would do in my life, but I had a quite clear-cut character and personality. So then you could say that between 20 and 25 years of age, I became fascinated by this. We can call it humanistic culture, 
And then while, while I was still pondering as to what I would like to do in life, I already, however, felt the importance of always fostering respect and dignity for the human being because I was moved along those lines because of what my father has suffered and also my brothers that had been subject to it too and what they were saying to me, what they were telling me. I kept asking myself, why should I or anyone offend other human beings? At 25, the man Brunello was ready. And then I came up with the idea of colored cashmere. You might ask me, why? How did it happen? And I don't know because until the day before, I was still just busy playing cards in the bar. So one day, I decided to make a cashmere pullover. And I remember that I had been reading the work of Theodore, the American economist who lived around the end of the 70s. And he stated and claimed that one day developed countries, we would have to focus especially on making very high quality products because there would be other poor countries than other countries who would take out the production of low quality products. And that's when I decided to focus on a high quality product. And I picked cashmere. Although I didn't know much about it, one thing that I knew, I knew that cashmere is not something that you throw away easily. It lasts, and it's a durable material. I wanted my production to be established in Italy. I wanted it to be made in Italy. I wanted to make colored cashmere because I thought it would look more chic, youthful, and fresh to women too. But I didn't have any money in my pocket to start my business. And I remember the evening I went to my dad. My head bowed a little bit, and I said to him, you know, dad, I'm going to make colored cashmere pullovers. Now, he didn't know what cashmere meant. He didn't know what pullovers were. But still, he said to me, okay, you do what you have to do. But please, always try and be a good man, and may God help you. And that's how and when I started my very tiny business. I wanted my company to foster the human and economic dignity of human beings. That was the main purpose because I was moved by the tearful eyes of my father, So this very small company, how is it going to be organized? Well, I wanted my employees and my coworkers to work in better places. For example, we are here now in a castle that dates back to the 1300s, and then I wanted to make them higher and better wages. I wanted them to become the thinking souls of this business because that's what the underlying idea that I have is. I wanted dignity. I wanted respect for human beings. Those were the main themes because I knew damn well that every single man, every single person has a pinch of genius in them. There's creativity and a little bit of genius in each one of them. And I just wanted to be the organizer of this genius, of these coworkers. And it all started here in Solo Mio. And initially, I started making some small renovations to this castle, small renovations because I didn't have that much money available. And then one of the main countries that I started selling to after Germany was the U.S. market. So I can say that many assets belonging to this village are owned by either the Germans or by the Americans because you were the first who decided to buy my product, and you were the ones who funded the renovations of this hamlet. And still today, I feel as if I'm a contemporary caretaker of these places. I don't feel like the owner of them. Yes, I'm the one who looks after them. I'm the majority shareholder, but still, I'm just someone looking after them. Just think around this table, wherever we're sitting now, and think of how many people were here, and they felt joy, concern, and sadness for 700 years and still counting. We have to act as guardians and at the same time plan for the coming 2,000 years. And while I was renovating this hamlet, I've always carefully listened to the very wise words of the greatest men of humanity. For example, the great thinkers, the scientists, the emperors, and the saints, because they were the ones who taught me to feel and act as a guardian and as a caretaker. 
They were the ones who taught me to believe in respect, dignity, kindness, grace, and good manners. And you see the underlying issue that we all share is that every one of us, we all have some sort of malaise of our soul that we carry around with us from day, day to day of our life. And it can be more or less strong depending on the circumstances. And I wanted to set up a workspace, work-enabling environment that could help relieve this daily malaise that we have in our souls for every single human being. Sean, you are very young. I could be your father. And what I'm saying to you is that you must have the courage to envision the golden century that is forthcoming, that is before you. I think that we fathers have made two major mistakes. First of all, we have taught your children, our children, to always be fearful. You always have to fear something. Why don't you replace the word fear with hope? Because a life without hope, there's no point in living it. And secondly, however, my grandfather taught me courage because courage was very important because he went through hunger and went through the war. And he never, never talked about the hardship of that time. Always he talked about courage. So that's the first warning. The second mistake we make as fathers and the fathers have made towards the children is the fact that we have said to you, so you're no good at school. You have to go to work. And this way we blamed work for everything that we had done wrong with the school. And an example is, this is not the right way to go because I believe that you have two kinds of intelligence. The intelligence that comes from what you learn at school and then any intelligence that you have inborn you, in your soul. And we must support this, the latter, the kind of intelligence. And this means trying to nourish a very special relationship with human beings. For example, the 13th century St. Francis went to Egypt because he wanted to get to know the sultan who was the most powerful man of the time. Now, they had different cultures and different religions, and yet they were able to forge a friendship. And also, Frederick II, a Christian king in 1240, did the same. He went to meet the sultan, who was from another religion. That's the idea of having this kind of intelligence of the soul. So I'd like to thank you for this exchange that we've had. And since you are very young, I would like to convey to you the very important lesson taught by Thomas More, who lived in the 16th century. And More said... Oh my God, help me accept what I cannot change. Help me change what I can change. This is what it means to have respect for every single human being, regardless of the languages they speak, their religion, or their skin tone. We must try and discover a new way and a new balance with other human beings. And I believe that if you have been a good man in your life, you will end well because you harvest what you sow. What goes around comes around, and my father was not a very educated man. He didn't go to school, yet he would repeat this to me daily. You should be good. You should have courage. When you feel despair, you should try and raise your gaze to the heavens because you might find inspiration there. Sean, I don't know whether there will be a better world ahead, but what I can say for sure is that this time is the best time that we have lived so far, and I know that because I'm passionate about history. 2,000 years ago, 170 AD, Marcus Aurelius was an emperor who was also a philosopher. He had a lot of things on his plate. He had to run Rome, and he had a play he wrote. There was an economic downturn. There was a war against the Germans, and still he would say live according to nature. Try and find peace, find balance. That's precisely what we need to do now. We need to find balance. Yet another important talking point about balance is to find a balance between humanism and technology. And this is particularly important for the next generation. I believe that over the past 30 years, we have tried and attempted to rule mankind through science only. 
but it is not possible. We need our souls, too, into the equation. They must be mixed in. We must mix technology and humanism. I believe that technology is a blessing, a blessing we have received from creation. And I say to my staff, you should always buy the most cutting-edge technology that there is on the market, but be careful the way you go about it because otherwise it will steal the soul that creation has given to us. That's why I say that we need to find a strike and a new balance. We also need to have the most serene relationship with ourselves. We must have less fear of the future and be kind all the time. For example, Emperor Hadrian once stated, I have never met anyone who did not feel better after being paid a compliment. So Sean, I speak to you and I start by saying, how are you? How is your family? How do you feel differently rather than just saying, hey, and that's it. So we really must find a new spiritual humane relationship with lots of answers. You are a young Sean. That's why I address you this way. I want to tell you that we need to find a balance as far as our work is concerned. St. Benedict was a great source of inspiration for me. He used to say that we need to feed our minds through study. We need to feed our souls through praying, and then we need to work. This means that we need to find balance out of all these different aspects of life. And we are in dire need of this balance because if you work a lot, if you're online a lot, when do you have time for spiritual freedom? When do you have time to raise your gaze to the heavens? At difficult times, we all need to take a break and then raise our eyes to the heavens. And we must nowadays discover this balance. I want to be contemporary. I want to buy the latest technology, but I also want to have time for my soul because, Sean, our soul needs to be nourished and fed daily like our bodies. I have always felt a great love for the Greeks. You could say that I have led my life and run my business as an Italian man, but I've always thought like a Greek because the Greeks came up with culture of eternity. We as a company have plans for the coming three months, but we must also think of having plans for the coming three years, for the coming 2,000 years for those coming after us. And we must feel this responsibility. We must feel and act as guardians who plan for future generations. And then we shouldn't forget the band of brotherhood. That's also a very important concept. And I'd like to mention what Rousseau said back in 1765 when he said, I can't even envision a human being who is even slightly similar to me, meaning that we are all different. We all have our culture, our nature, and this is something that wants to con I want to convey to you and all young people who are surrounded by. You guys should be guardians. You should be the defenders of this world, of our world. And I wish I could express this thought in English, but I'll never be able to do that. You, as a young man, have the responsibility for the coming century, and we must all be guardians and act as caretakers. For example, right here in the heart of the village, we have built a theater. The theater will still be standing in a thousand years from now. And then we build a winery and also a monument that will still be here like the Colossus in Rome. We are in the process of building a library, drawing inspiration from something that happened in 250 BC in Alexandria, Egypt, when Ptolemy built the Library of Alexandria, and that's precisely what we want to do for this mankind. And so I want to say to you and all the young viewers and listeners, listeners, that you should be enlightened. And now I will tell you what Hadrian said. Hadrian, the emperor, once stated, books have shown me the way in life. When I grew up, I understood the meaning of books. And after the death of King Alexander, he had this library, and it was to protect the works of Aristotle. And that's why he came up with the idea of building this giant library, because everything is eternal, and we are the guardians. We are the guardians that need to do things for the coming century, not just for the coming months. 
And this is a message that I want to convey in this fascinating call. When I was told that you wanted to interview me, I said, yes, I accept immediately. And I was so pleased to do it because I hope that I can be a source of inspiration for your younger viewers. After all, you need to have respect, to be surrounded by respect. Another thing we should now learn is to never turn our backs on poverty. Poverty. This is what two years of the pandemic have taught us. Sean, the past two years have been very sorrowful and painful for our body, for our mind, for our soul. And I think that we have devoted lots and lots of time to raising our gaze to the skies and the stars to find inspiration. And I'm reminded of what happened back in 1937 in Russia when the world's greatest thinker, scientist, and philosopher, Leon Trotsky, who had been condemned to death penalty, actually decided to write a letter to his children a few days before the sentence was carried out. And he wrote, My beloved children, whenever your soul feels heavy, whenever you can't manage to do something, whenever you feel humiliated, you should walk outside. Just go out. Look at the sky and the stars and everything will fall into place. And that's why I think that in the past two years or so, I don't think that anyone has thrown away a piece of food because we now have adopted a new approach towards poverty, towards creation in general. And I'm thinking back to Plato, Aristotle, Rousseau. They all mentioned one specific theme, the social contracts and agreements among human beings. I believe that today what we need is a new type of social contract with the creation and the parties to this contract should be human beings but also the ground, the earth, the water, the wildlife, and the fish. And this is what I find fascinating about the time we're living in. That's why I'm saying to you, you should feel responsible but also creative, genius-like, and kind, and you should never turn your back on poverty. And I can assure you, you will feel better if you behave this way. Now, I'm a firm believer in human sustainability because I believe in different sustainability on the climate, the economic sustainability, sustainability of the labor conditions, how human beings work, where they work. And then there is also culture sustainability because everybody needs culture daily and their spiritual sustainability for that matter. For example, if you're sitting somewhere and somebody is there close to you, they might come up to you and ask you how you are. You would feel better. If you feel respected, you will feel better. If you can look out and see and have a view, you will work with better spirits. This is what I call spiritual sustainability. I don't know whether you know this, but I was invited together with Prince Charles to address the G20 summit last year. Prince Charles was supposed to talk about climate sustainability, and I dwelled on human sustainability and humanistic capital, and the G20 was very fascinating to me. Another thing I'm used to is not ever writing anything down before a speech. I'm used to speaking off the cuff, and I was a bit concerned before the whole event started, but everything turned out well. That's why when the prime minister gave me a call and asked me whether I wanted to give my contribution to capitalism at the G20, I said, of course. I rushed and I said, yes, I'm very willing to do that. And then I spent a month worrying and getting concerned about it because I knew that I would speak off the cuff. Then I decided to go to Rome two days in advance, and I spent two days locked in my hotel room in Rome. I didn't eat any food because I thought it might lose focus if my digestion was heavy. And then I decided to go to the venue two hours in advance because I thought, what if the car breaks down before I reach the place? And then I was asked to provide the speech. And I was nervous because I was about to speak in front of the people that I hold as my contemporary guardians of creation. And when my turn came, I begged the heavens, please give me the strength to do this. 
And then I remember the final statement of my speech when I said, you people are temporary people in charge of the beauty of the world. On behalf of mankind, please show us the way in life. Show us the way that should lead us to the universal humanism because that's precisely what we need. And it was a fascinating time. Socrates once stated, I don't know what will happen to us after death, but I'm sure that it will be different with good people separated from the evil ones. And if nothing happens, I will have lived better anyway being a good man. We must always strive for this balance, for respect. We need to have this aspiration for human happiness. We must aspire to human happiness because happiness comes from very small things, and we must be able to find them. For example, in the evening, you should listen to the teachings of St. Augustine when he said you should tidy up your soul. You should try to always understand whether you are being good to others or harmful, and this was the purpose of my life. I always wanted to never harm mankind. I don't know if I succeeded to do that as the company or as the person, or at least do as little damage as possible for them. And today, as a grandfather or as a father, I would like to warn you. First of all, when you speak to your kids as parents, you should always convey an idea of courage, humility, creativity, of passion to your children, and you should be understanding if someone disagrees with you. Your United States, I have to express my gratitude towards, not just because you were among the first to buy the product, but because you also were a source of inspiration and education for me with your poets and your ways of behaving. And so you should keep talking about the courage to your children. And when life becomes amiable, you should try and accept it all the time. For example, now in Italy, we are concerned about the war. I've come to this interview on one hand feeling serene and peaceful, but on the other hand, we are also weighed down by the concerns of the war that's in the air. However, I want to say that I'm a firm believer in the wisdom of human beings, and I never imagined that such a war would break out on this continent. And on the other hand, we have our soul that is grieved, that is weighed down by the war. But on the other hand, we must think about the fact that we must be guardians. And also, in our companies, our different businesses, you might be the owner, the majority shareholder, but still, you must act as a guardian. And to you, I'd say once again, as a young man, you have a responsibility because you are the defenders of creation and you should try and be courageous, graceful, and you should be open. Openness is a good thing. You should be open to the world, to culture, fascination, and beauty. When my father would say to me, you have to make the furrow straight because straight means more beautiful. That's the importance that beauty has in our lives. So the first part of my life was very important source of inspiration because back then I spent about 30% of my time looking at the sky because we didn't have television. We didn't have any electricity at home. And about the sky last night, we enjoyed a special moon here. It was the red moon, and the moon reminds me of another thing, an experience that I had with some monks a few days ago. Some nice people from San Francisco, four male monks and one lady monk came to dinner. They were vegetarians, and before we sat down to dinner, the lady monk said, we should eat a fair amount of food so that it is enough left for the rest of mankind. And then she raised her gaze to the moon. It was 10 p.m., and there was a beautiful moon shining. And she said, our teacher taught us that there are three things that you can't hide for a very long time, the sun, the moon, and truth. And I like this statement, and we need to be able to convey it and pass it to others. So this great idea that they conveyed of respect for mankind and all the thinkers that I've come across, and there are not many for me. I did not study Latin. I was younger then, but I did go deep for some of them. 
They all taught me to be kind and the value of grace, respect, and courage. And by the way, we live in a small hamlet here. I want to tell you, come and visit whenever. But bring your friends. You must spend at least one night here in the village so that you can see the village during the day, the business life. And then in the evening, you can enjoy the theater, the spirituality of the evening here in the village, and the really important things we're responsible for, the things we all have responsibility towards. And my end advice I would like to end with is this. You should always strive for justice, truth, and mankind. You should always try to invest highly and heavenly in the great ideals of human beings, which are politics, family, and spirituality, because we are in dire need of good people, Jesus-like, kind, and polite people. And also try and look at the sky as often as possible, because you can find inspiration in the sky and the stars. They can show you the way in life, and you should also never consider that this time that we're living in is a time of darkness for creation. Erasmus in Rotterdam in the 500s actually said, my God, please let me live 20 years more because the golden century is about to come. Well, I say the same thing. I think that the golden century is forthcoming. It will be a century of contracts, agreements, and brotherhood. What language does God speak? Well, I don't know what language he speaks, but he conveyed the same message to everyone. And the message is that of love and respect. And this is my final message for young people. Try and be good, decent people. Try and be visionary, be amiable, be respectful, and try to take care of creating all the time. Being good pays off. Also believe in universal humanism. And another thing I want to say, my warning to you, is may the sky and the stars always protect you, protect you and your future. If I can sum it up in one single piece of advice, be enlightened, be yourself enlightened and enlighten others. Thank you. Thank you very much. And may creation always protect you. You guys made it to the end of another episode of what got you there. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.